I once heard a pastor who was um, a, a pretty good preacher say that um, when it comes to sermons, what you do is you tell people what you're going to tell them, tell them, then tell them what you told them. Uh, I've never followed that instructions. Not going to start now. But I will tell you that this message is to come in kind of three parts, a fairly lengthy introduction to tell you why I'm bringing the message. And then the second part is a pushback on the world. And then the third part is a pushback on other pastors and preachers. So I'll make everybody my enemy, um, maybe even some of you, but that's the cross I bear, I guess. Um, you can tell what a society thinks and what it wants by the advertisement that goes on and how they advertise. In, in our culture, um, you'll see that everybody wants a good time. And so there are lots of commercials showing if you buy this product, you'll have a great time. Uh, or there are certain keywords that uh, they say uh, within either their product or their service. And some of those keywords are things like entitled. Or sustainability, you know, sustainability is everything from your clothes to the fish you eat. You know, everybody's got to feel good because it's sustainable. And they know that because they're selling to you and they want you to feel good. But not all of their commercials work. And some I find uh, to be um, defeating the purpose. And I'm going to share two of these uh, not to, to show why I'm differentiating it from this third commercial that I'll talk about. I won't talk about the product, but probably if you've seen a number of these commercials, you'll know what I'm talking about. There's one commercial by a nonprofit that shows a boy who's basically lazy. When he walks the dog, the dog is on a treadmill and he's laying on the couch and he does all these things. And the purpose of the commercial is for them to tell you that you need to exercise. Here's the problem. At the end of the commercial, the boy is sitting at a computer or uh, some type of video game. He picks up his cell phone. He calls his grandmother, who's in the same house. She's walking with a cane, answers the phone, and the boy says, Grandma, would you get me a grape soda? And then it says, we need to exercise. I'm going, no, that's not the problem of the little boy. The little problem of the little boy is that he should be asking, Grandma, can I get you? a grape soda. Can I do something for you, not for you to do something for me? The problem is not the lack of exercise. And so I've not brought those things up. I, my family hears those things in my rant and raving, but that, that's the world. The second is there is a pet food commercial where a lady's sitting on a couch and she's just admiring her pet. See, I'm not even telling you whether it's a dog or a cat. I'm trying to be really, you know. And so she's just admiring the cat. And off in the distance, you hear her son say, Mom, I fell. She looks at her pet and says, get a Band-Aid. And she goes, but I'm bleeding. And her response is, get two. Now, the problem is, is that that's exactly the world. The world is, I'm more in love with my pet than my own family. Now, me, that offends me, and I would I'd take that pet and do something with it if it's that more important than my child. But, again, it's the world. And so I'm not going to preach those messages because that's the world and they're, they're whatever. But the third one 
has come into my territory and I'm going to push back. There's a commercial where the woman says that in the situation of David and Goliath, that David should cooperate with Goliath. Now, in our society, there are some lexicons of things like writing on the wall. Writing on the wall doesn't mean there's graffiti. It means you've been weighed in the balance, found lacking, and you're not going to have a good day. The other one is David and Goliath, and somehow they think that the story is about some little guy and some big guy and how they ought to cooperate. As soon as it came out of her words, I am not cooperating with Goliath. Goliath is the enemy, and the title of the sermon is Facing Goliath. It's not facing giants. There's a lot of difficulties that we come and face in this life, but they're not always enemies. So kind of give you an example. There are plenty of people who root for and are fans of such teams as the Raiders and the Steelers. They're not bad people. They're just misguided. And so, you know, you, you, they're not your enemy. They just haven't seen the light. And so what we're going to be talking about is not that type of situation. We are going to be talking about, in this, spiritual warfare. Now, in this setting, the spiritual warfare is as much spiritual as it is physical. And so we're going to, if you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Samuel chapter 17. And we're going to talk about David and Goliath. Now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle, and they were gathered at Soko, which belongs to Judah. And they, they camped between Soko and Azka and Ephes Demon. So the setting is, this is where the Philistines are. The Philistines are now occupying a part of the land of Israel. If you will, they've invaded the land. They are the enemies, and they're seeking to take territory away from Israel. And Saul, being the king, and the men of Israel were gathered and camped in the valley of Elah and drew up in battle array to counter the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on the mountain on one side, while Israel stood on the mountain on the other side, with a valley in between them. And so you've got this where there are two armies are encamped on a ridge of the mountains. There's a valley where the battle would take place, and they're posturing. And Israel saying, we're here, you can't go any further. And the Philistines are saying, we want to fight you. So in verse 4, it says, Then a champion came out from the armies of the Philistines named Goliath from Gath whose height was six cubits and a span. So he's somewhere about nine, six to nine, nine. He's a really big guy, even by NBA standards. You know, an NBA standard, a guy who's seven plus is really, really tall. Here's a guy who's nine, 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 six. And he had a bronze helmet on his head, and he was clothed with scaled armor, which weighed 5,000 shekels of bronze. Now, I know that means nothing to you. That's about 125 pounds. So this guy's big enough that, that part of his armor is 125 pounds, and it's not going to limit his ability to fight. He was also had bronze greaves on his legs and a bronze javelin slung between his shoulders, and the shaft of his spear was like 
a weaver's beam. So there's this really thick, large javelin. It's not a little pole. It's a thick beam, like a eight by eight, if you will. It's, it's a big one. And the head of his spear weighed 600 shekels of iron. His shield carrier also walked before him. So a lot of times when we get the picture of, of Goliath, we think here he is standing out there doing whatever he's doing. He also has a shield bearer in front of him. So there's two of them. You got to get through the shield bearer before you get to Goliath. And he stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel and said to them, why do you come out and draw up in battle array? And Essence going, what you doing? You've been standing here for a while. You pretend like you're ready to go. You pretend like you're drawn up ready for battle, but I don't see you coming. So he's mocking them. Am I not the Philistine and you the servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. And if he's able to fight with me and kill me, then we will become your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall become our servants and serve us. So he's making an offer. He's saying, look it. There's no need for this messy fight where thousands of people are going to die. Pick one guy. I'll fight him. The winner wins. The loser becomes slaves of the, the victor. Again, the Philistine said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. So again, he's continuing to taunt them saying, you're, you're, you're all set up in battle. Just send me one guy. Let's deal with this. Let's get it over with. And when Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Now, first off, Saul is the king of Israel. He's supposed to be their leader. And the people will do what the leader does. And if the leader is afraid, then the people will be afraid. But Saul is king. He should be taking this personal, not only because he's king of the people, but because, in essence, Goliath is taunting God's people and thereby God. And he should be taking offense at that. That's why I say there is no compromise between Goliath and David. There's no compromise between the people of God and Goliath because Goliath wants you to serve his gods. Now, from a human point, you can say, well, well, Saul had the anointing of the Spirit of God, and then it left and went on to David. Okay, but he's still the king. He should have resigned if, if he's not going to represent the people that way. Secondly, we don't have that excuse. Because if you're a believer, you have the Spirit of God. So that's the scene. Verse 12. Now David was the son of an Ephraimite of Bethlehem in Judea, or Judah, easy for me to say, whose name was Jesse, and he had eight sons, and David was the youngest. And Jesse was old in the days of Saul, advancing years among men. The three older sons of Jesse had gone after Saul to the battle, and the names of his three sons who went to the battle were Eliab, the firstborn, and the second. Abinadab, and the third, Shammah. And David was the youngest, 
Now the three oldest followed Saul, but David went back and forth from Saul to tend his father's flock at Bethlehem. The Philistine came forward morning and evening for 40 days and took his stand. So this isn't just a one or two day event. Goliath has been taunting the army for 40 days. They're supposed to fight. They're supposed to protect their land. They're supposed to remove the invaders from the promised land. Instead, they hear the taunts of Goliath and are fearful and dismayed. Then Jesse said to David, his son, take now for your brothers an ephod of roasted grain and these 10 loaves and run to the camp to your brothers. Bring also these 10 cuts of cheese to the commanders of their thousand and look into the welfare of your brothers and bring back news of them. Okay, the dad is concerned of his sons. How's the battle going? You know, he, he can't read the Jerusalem Times or the, um, I guess, JNN or, or MSNBJ or Fox Jerusalem. He doesn't have those things. So he says, okay, David, your job has been to, to take care of the sheep, but I want you to go and I want you to find out how, how your brothers are doing because I'm their dad. I'm concerned. They're in battle. They're at risk. Little does he know they're just standing on a hill doing nothing. And he says, send this food to your brothers. But on top of that, give some good food, cheese, to the commanders. Make a blessing to other people who are leading them. And again, partially probably because that way, um, if, you, if you give the commanders the good stuff, they won't give... Jesse's sons, the terrible jobs to do. So he's probably doing it as a smart person. And so he sends them off. And for Saul and they and all the men of Israel are in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. Or so that's what he thinks. Instead, they're just standing on a hill being scared as Goliath comes out for 40 days yelling and screaming and taunting so David arose early in the morning and left the flock of, with a keeper and took the supplies and went as Jesse had commanded him. So notice two things. One, David takes his responsibility seriously. He does what his dad commands him to do, even though he has already been anointed king. David would say, look at dad, I'm king. You do what I tell you to do. But, dad is, but David is a good son and does what his father tells him to do. But he doesn't do it irresponsibly. He makes sure that his job is to make sure the sheep are taken care of. So he makes sure there's somebody there to take care of the sheep while he does this other errand. And he came to the circle of the camp while the army was going out in battle array, shouting the war cry. Again, they're, you know... They're making lots of noise, but doing absolutely nothing. They're making a war cry. Yeah. Israel and, and the Philistines drew up in battle array, army against army. Then David left his baggage in the care of the baggage keeper and ran to the battle line and entered in order to greet his brothers. So he's there to find out how they're doing. He's doing what his father told him to do. And as he was talking with them, behold, the champion of the Philistines from Gath named Goliath 
was coming up from the army of the Philistines, and he spoke the same words, and David heard them. So the same taunts he's been doing day after day. Yeah, you're all in battle array, big deal. Come and fight me, you bunch of cowards. Okay, and David's hearing these things. And when all the men of Israel saw the man, they fled from him and were greatly afraid. The men of Israel said, have you seen this man who is coming up? Surely he is coming up to defy Israel. And it will be that the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. So there is an incentive to go face Goliath. And if you're victorious, you get you get his daughter, which means you get to be a part of the, the uh, royalty. You um, get a lot of good stuff. And on top of that, you have a tax-free life. In today's world, that would be very valuable. And so they're, they're saying, no, here you go. This is what, gets, what happens if you go. Notice up until for 40 days, nobody's taking it on. Then David spoke to the men who were standing by him, saying, What will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? Notice, David understands the situation. It's the reproach of Israel because they're afraid of this man. Or who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should taunt the armies of God? You see, David has Contempt for this person who is showing contempt for God. That's why I keep saying you cannot compromise with Goliath. You don't cooperate with him. There is nothing to cooperate with because he is on a different side than us. And the people answered him in accord with the word saying, thus it will be done for the man who kills him. So David is hearing these things, but he wants to hear from several different sources to make sure it's true. Because in an army camp and whatever, rumors can spread and whatever. So he wants to make sure it's, it's accurate. Now Eliab, his oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men and Eliab's anger burned against David. And he said, why have you come down? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your insolence and the wickedness of your heart. And you have come down in order to see the battle. You see, number one, don't be surprised when even your own family doesn't understand you. For you see, David's not there to see the battle. David was there to bring food to his brothers and to tell his father, what was going on? And yet the brother thinks not only is he guard there to see the battle, and that's all he's there for, but notice that he, he denigrates David's position. He goes, so you left those few sheep. You have such a tiny job. You're so unimportant. Why are you here? And again, this is the oldest brother. And he's treating the youngest this way with great contempt. And then, Dave, uh, then he turned away from him to another, I'm sorry. Um, and when he spoke this word to David, I'm sorry. And David said, what have I done now? Was it not just a question? 
Then he turned away from him to another and said the same thing, and the people answered the same thing as before. So notice David isn't deterred. He's going, just ask a question, guy. Relax. But he doesn't deter. He still asks the same question, which I kind of find interesting. I guess it's because you can do God's will and get rewarded at the same time. He's looking, okay, how do I get rid of Goliath and benefit? And when the words which David spoke were heard, they told them to it Saul. And he sent for him. And David said to Saul, let no, one's, no man's heart fail on account of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. So David goes, I got this. I don't care he's 9-9. I got this. Then Saul said to David, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth while he has been a warrior from his youth. He's saying, you're just a kid. You haven't grown up yet. And this guy has fought longer than you've been alive. He knows too much. Kind of sounds like Paul when he tells Timothy, don't let people put you down for your youth. And that's exactly what's on. You're just this scrawny kid. But notice what David says. But David said to Saul, your servant was sending his father's sheep when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb from the flock. And I went out after him and attacked him and rescued it from his mouth. And, and when he arose up, Against me, I seized him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them since he has taunted the armies of the living God. He's going, God has protected me, and I not only took back the sheep, I killed the lion and I killed the bear, and I broke them apart. I'm going to do the same thing to this nine foot nine guy because he's taunted the armies of the living God. And David said, the Lord will deliver me from the paw, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear. He will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And again, notice David doesn't say, I'm so brilliant and I'm so strong that I killed the lion and a bear. He goes, God delivered me. He gives the credit to where the credit is due. He says, God delivered me and God will deliver me from this uncircumcised Philistine, the enemy. And Saul said to David, go and maybe the Lord, may the Lord be with you. It's like, it's interesting Instead of Saul getting a backbone and saying, okay, if the Lord will deliver you, I'm the king of Israel. The Lord will deliver me. I'll go fight the guy. Now let's go send David. Then Saul clothed David with his garments and put a bronze helmet on his head, and he clothed him with armor. And David girded his sword over the armor and tried to walk, for he had not tested him. So David said to Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not tested them. And David took them off. Now, I think this is subtly humorous. Because David's a youth. Saul's a big guy. 
The reason he's king is everybody goes, he's a man. He can lead Israel because he's a man. He's such a man, he can't go fight the big guy. So he gives him his armor. And I can see David walking around going, I, I can't fight in this. It's not going to work out. Time I get my arm up, my head will be gone. So he goes, I haven't, so he, he gives a good, I haven't tested them. I, I, I need time to test them. So let me take them off and we'll do it my way. And David took them off and he took his stick in his hand and chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook and put them in a shepherd's bag, which he had even in his pouch. And his sling was in his hand and he approached the Philistine. Now, I find some interesting things about it. He takes a stick. Why did he take a stick? I'll tell you why I think he took a stick. A diversion. Goliath is going to be so concerned about, he's going to mention the stick. He's not going to mention the slingshot. So David takes a stick. But this guy who already said that God will deliver him didn't take one stone, didn't take two stones, didn't take three stones, didn't even take four stones. He took five stones. I want five shots at this guy. And they're smooth because I don't want the raggediness to change the aerodynamics. So he takes five stones, slingshot, and a stick. Then the Philistine came on and approached David with a shield bearer in front of him. So again, I find this humorous. Nine foot nine guy. Taunting the armies of Israel. Here comes the little scrawny youth with a stick, and he's got a shield bearer in front of him. Don't think the world's not afraid of you. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he had disdained him, and he was but a youth and ruddy with a handsome appearance. It's like, you should be a, a model. You're, you know, you're a cute guy. Go back and, and go get Vogue magazines, but Find, send somebody else to fight me because you're just this, this red little kid. And the Philistine said to David, am I a dog that you come to me with a sticks? It's, and he says, yeah, because a dog, you throw a stick and a dog goes chase it. So he's di diverted from his attention. You come with me with a stick. That's why I think it's a diversion. And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. So... It's bad enough to do whatever, but now he's swearing at him. Or in the movies, it's adult language. And the Philistines also said to David, come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the sky and the beasts of the field. Now, here's a warning for those of you who aren't believers. Don't tell people what you're going to do to them. Because what you say you're going to do to them all too often happens to you. Ask Jezebel. Ask a lot of people who are against the people of God who make all these commitments and then find themselves being the fulfillment of that commitment. So he's going, come here. Kind of like a kung fu fight. Come here, and I'm going to feed you to the birds. Then David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword and a spear and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, 
the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have taught it, taunted. David goes, I'm a little guy. I have a stick. I have some stones. Stick and stone may break my bones, but words can never hurt me. You know? And he goes, and he says, you come to me. You, you got the javelin. You got the sword. You got the spear. You got the, you come. David says, but I've come in the name of the Lord. David has far more protection than all of this other that Goliath has. Just as in another Bible passage, it will say, when the army surrounded the prophet and his servant, the prophet said, there are more with us than against us. This day the Lord will deliver you up into my hands and I will strike you down and remove your head from you and I will give the, dead, give the dead bodies of the armies of the Philistines this day to the birds of the sky and the wild beasts of the earth that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. You see, David says, this is now personal. Not only are you going to die, but all those people up there, they're going to die. So that everyone might know that God is the God and not the one you just cursed. And that God takes it personal when you criticize and taunt his people. Even the people up on the other ridge who have been afraid and dismayed for 40 days. And that all this assembly may know that the Lord does not deliver by sword or by spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. David doesn't say, I am a great warrior. David says, God is the one who gives victory. The battle belongs to the Lord, and he's going to fight, and you're going to lose. Then it happened when the Philistine rose and came and drew near to meet David, that David ran quickly towards the battle line to meet the Philistine. He closed the gap. You would think that that would be the last thing he would want to do because closing the gap means that the spear and the javelin would be more effective. And David ran quickly towards the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put in his hand into the ba his bag and took from it a stone and slung it. So while he's running, he's getting ready, and he swings it and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead and the stone sank into his forehead so that it fell on his face to the ground. Now, I want you to know that this wasn't a death nail. He stunned him. He knocked him out. Thus David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone and he struck the Philistine and killed him, but there was no sword in David's hand. Then David ran and stood over the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of its sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. So David didn't have a sword. So he goes, I know what I'll do. I'll use Goliath's sword. So he takes Goliath's sword to cut off Goliath's head. And when the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. 
Now who's afraid? The men of Israel and Judah rose and shouted and pursued the Philistines as far as the valley and to the gates of Ekron. And the slain Philistines lay along the way to Sharim, even to Gath, which was where Goliath was from, and Ekron. And the sons of Israel returned from chasing the Philistines and plundered their camps. Then David took the Philistines' head and brought it to Jerusalem, but he put his weapons in his tent. So David says, here's the head of this uncircumcised Philistine. Going to show it to Israel. I'm going to hold on to the weapons so that if there's any doubt in my future that the battle belongs to the Lord, I'll have these weapons to remind me. Now, we love this story because the little guy wins, but the little guy doesn't win. The Lord wins. But the Lord used David because David said, I've had enough. I will not allow you to continue to taunt God and his people. David stands up for his people and for God. And we love that. And that's why I did not name this facing giants because not all giants are evil. Some giants are just misinformed. But when they taunt God, we stand up for God. Now, we all love success tales. And we love to repeat those. And that's where I'm going to now shift from pushing back on the world to start pushing back on a lot of pastors and preachers. Because the world says, oh, it's all about inclusivity. And I'm saying not when it comes to evil, not when it comes to unrighteousness, not when it comes to spiritual wickedness. I will push back. I will not be a part of it. There are some other people that we love to talk about. And we find that in Daniel. Daniel chapter um, I forgot. Daniel chapter, I think it's three. Yeah. Daniel chapter three. We're going to take a look. Um, starting with verse um, 13. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in rage and anger, gave orders to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Then these men were brought before the king. The reason that these guys are up, have been seized is that there was a decree that said whenever there was a trumpet sound, you're supposed to bow down and worship Nebuchadnezzar. And they go, ah, not us. And so Nebuchadnezzar, who thought he was a god, said, how dare these guys do this? And he was very, very enraged. And so he gets them. And they were, and they were brought before the king. And Nebuchadnezzar responded and said to them, is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you are ready at the moment you hear the sound of the horn, flute, lyre, tigron, psaltery, and bagpipe, and all kinds of music to fall down and worship the image that I have made very well. But if you do not worship, you will immediately be cast into the midst of a furnace of blazing fire. And what God is there who can deliver you out of my hands? 
So he's going, as far as you're concerned, I'm God, and I got your fate in my hands. You worship me or you die. And as far as Nebuchadnezzar is concerned, there is no God that can save them. Now, I want you to notice what they say. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to give you an answer concerning this matter. We don't got to think about it. Our mind is already set. We have already made a decision before you ever made this law that we would have no other gods before God, our God. And he goes, if it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire. He goes, our God can. Our God can deliver us. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But even if he does not, let it be known to you, O king, that we are not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. They're saying, our God can, and our God will. But even if he doesn't, we would rather die serving our God than bow serving yours. And that's the problem in the church today. The problem in the church today is if you just have enough faith, everything will work out. And if it doesn't work out, then you probably didn't have enough faith. Even though the scripture says, if you have the faith the size of a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, be moved, and it can be moved. So how much faith do you need if a mustard seed does that? But that's the teaching. If you just speak it, it'll become true. And it will because you just have this faith. And I can command God to do things because I have faith. And that's exactly the opposite of what they're saying here. God can and God will, but even if he doesn't, even if it doesn't turn out the way we'd like it to, we will not serve. Yes, it worked out for David. And yes, we will see, if you continue reading, that it worked out for them. That even though the fire got hotter and hotter and killed those who were throwing them into the fire, God delivered them. And not only delivered them, walked around amongst them. Now I want you to turn to Hebrews chapter 11, which makes the point about the pushback. And about halfway through verse 35, it says this, and others were tortured, not accepting their release so that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others experienced mockings, and scourgings, yes, also chains and imprisonments. They were stoned, and they were sawed in two. They were tempted, and they were put to death with a sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, ill-treatment, ill-treated. Men whom the world was not worthy, wandering in the deserts and the mountains and caves and holes in the ground, and all these having gained approval through their faith, did not receive what was promised because God had provided something better for us so that apart from us, they would not be made perfect. God's saying, this is a collective thing. And yes, there will be some who win in battle and there'll be some who die. And there'll be some who avoid torture and others will die. 
It's about God determining what's best for not only you, but us. The point is, we stand against those who stand against God, not because we win, but because it's right. Because God is God, and we follow him. A couple things I like to hear, and one thing I hope, if the time comes, I'm able to say. One thing I would love to hear when this life is over is, well done, good and faithful slave. Another thing I would like to be able to say, even though I'll tell you, I'm like everybody else, I like an easy life, is to say that I was counted worthy to suffer for the name of the Lord. Because the Lord says, more blessed to suffer for righteousness. The disciples after the resurrection when they were imprisoned and beaten and, and scourged, came out joyful saying, we were considered worthy to suffer. And the second thing about worthy is I hope, if that's the case, as it had just said here, that the world was not worthy of them. What a inscription on a gravestone. Here lies so-and-so. The world was not worthy of him or her. We all want to change the world. Wouldn't it be awesome to just not be worthy of it? Finally, if you'll turn to two more scriptures. One is Galatians chapter 2. Verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. Notice it's past tense. I have been crucified. Having been crucified means I'm dead. I have been crucified with Christ. And it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. This world and this life is not about you. It's about letting Jesus live through you in this life. And then the final verse is in Philippians chapter 1, verse 21. For to me, to live is Christ. He's saying, for me to live is not the good life. It's not the abundant life. It's not, look how great Paul is. He's such a great teacher and apostle and, and all these other things. Look out. No, he says, for to me to live is Christ. It's not about me anymore. It's about him. And to die is gain. He's saying, take my life. You just made it better. 
Because not only do I not live with him and him in me, I will then be in his presence, seeing him exactly as he is. No longer operating in faith, operating in sight. No longer being hurt and discouraged and sick, but having a body that will be not subject to those things. There was a preacher one time who said that we should be so bold as to charge hell with a squirt gun. I thought about bringing a squirt gun, but everybody's so afraid of guns nowadays that people would freak out because it was a squirt, squirt gun. So I don't, didn't bring the visual. I'm not asking you to charge hell with a squirt gun. I'm asking you to stand firm against hell, even with a squirt gun. That if it means living in victory, blessed be the name of the Lord. If it means dying in defeat, but ultimate victory, blessed be the name of the Lord. We should no longer be concerned about what the results are. Might as well close with another movie reference. Many of you probably have seen a movie called The Last Samurai. And in that, one of the, the head samurai guys dies in a violent battle. And the American who survives brings the, the samurai to give it to the emperor, who basically fought against the emperor. And the emperor asks the American, how did he die? And the American's response was, let me tell you how he lived. That's what people should say about us. Not that he died in peace or that she died in faith, but we lived in faith. Our actions and our commitments and our being was in conformity with what we say. That he is God. That he is my Lord. That I believe that he rose from the dead. And that the battle is his. And if I die on the battleground, that's fine. Because the victory is God's. And if he spares me, blessed be his name. Because the battle is his. Whether we're David Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, or these others whose names are never mentioned, and our names will probably never be mentioned. But it doesn't mean that God doesn't know and see and reward. Let us live to be not worthy of this world, that this world is not worthy of us. And that when we see spiritual wickedness, we stand against it and say, no further. You will not blaspheme and mock the name of my God. 
We will not be like the armies who are in dismay and fearful. But we will not be shaken. And all God's people said.